we're so glad you're here this morning. Have you had a good spring break? Has it been refreshing? Have you enjoyed the beautiful weather God has lavished on us? Hasn't it been amazing? And the flowers are blooming. The grass is so pretty and green. The pollen is falling and covering the vehicle that you just washed. Just, it's been a lot of fun. But I'm so glad you're here this morning as uh, Mark and his family are on vacation. He asked me if I'd be willing to teach on his behalf. And I'm going to be teaching on what's called the Passover. And that is... Uh, lesson number 11, where Mark was given an overview of the gospel of John, and he featured the festivals, and he talked about the Passover. And so rather than write a new lesson, he asked me just to reference the lesson he already wrote about that. So if you can go back and grab that lesson number 11, that will help you tremendously. Now, let me take you on a journey to Alexandria, Louisiana. That's my hometown. I grew up in Castle Village, that was our neighborhood, and three blocks from my home was my elementary school, Knackman Elementary. We were the Knackman Knights. Great school. I went there kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade, and fourth grade, and then fifth grade before going to a sixth grade center. So that was my journey right outside of my neighborhood, Knackman Elementary. One of my best friends, Martin Couples, rode his bike on this particular day, and I didn't. And he said, well, Stephen, I'll just give you a ride home. You can ride on the handlebars. The bell rings. We run out to the bike rack. He gets his bike out. I jump up onto the handlebars, and I'm holding on both sides, and it's kind of wobbly, and Martin is trying to get his balance. And then he takes off. And do you see where that star is on the picture? That's where it happened. When he loses control, and we both get dumped off of the curb onto the oncoming bus. And then I got to read Firestone up close and personal as a bus driver slammed on her brakes and almost hit us. And I was so relieved until I heard Mrs. Craig, who was the teacher on duty that day. And she was not a happy teacher on duty that day. She was so angry at us and she grabbed both of us by our collars, picked us up, and she took us into Mr. Boone's office, our principal, Mr. Boone. And we were so nervous because I had been there a couple times previously in my journey at the elementary school. And so I was in fear and trepidation, as you can imagine. He sits the two of us down right in front of his desk. We're both shivering, nervous, scared. He reaches back behind his desk, opens the drawer to reach for what he called the Board of Education. I felt like I knew them on a first name basis. They were very, we were very connected. And so he pulls that out and he gets up and I know the drill. He's going to go through his door, go to the secretary and say, I need you to come in and witness. So he gets up, goes to the door, but instead of walking through the door, he shuts the door. I had never been through that routine and I was really nervous now. He comes right in front of myself and Martin sits on the corner of his desk says, and the boys, you know what you did was wrong. And we both, with our lips quivering, said, yes, sir. It was irresponsible, yes, sir. And there are consequences to your poor decisions. Do you get that, guys? And we are like, yes, sir. And usually he would say, now I need you to bend over this part of the desk, grab the side of the desk, and hang on. But this time, seated at the corner of his desk, he crosses his leg and exposes the bottom of his dress shoe. 
And as hard as I've ever seen him swing a paddle, he spanks the bottom of his shoe and it sounded like a shotgun going off. And then we really got scared. And then he did it a second time. And then he looked us in the eyes and said, Now boys, I'm going to overlook this one. Get out of here. And I want you to know, anytime I hear the word Passover, (laughs) it's very personal to me. When the Bible says, and the Lord passed over, I think about Mr. Boone, how he passed over us and allowed his foot to take the brunt of our consequences. So keep that in mind as we look at the Passover in the Old Testament. If you want to follow along in your Bibles, you can go to Exodus chapter 12 if you have a copy of God's Word. Exodus chapter 12 is where God is giving very clear instructions to Moses and Aaron. He's instructing them on what he wants them to communicate to the people of Israel. Now remember, the people of Israel are in bondage. Slaves in Egypt. We call it Egyptian bondage. God had raised up Moses to be the deliverer. But there have been multiple delays and complications. And the Pharaoh would finally say, you can go. And then they would start to go and he would retract. And God would send another plague and another plague and another plague to get Pharaoh's attention. But nothing really seemed to connect or stick until the final plague. And we find this in Exodus chapter 12, these instructions that God has now given to Moses and Aaron. So they will communicate this to the people of Israel. We pick up in verse 5. Notice how specific. Your lamb shall be without blemish. A male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month. When the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Notice what happens in verse 7. He continues with his specific directions. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat. Now we can just picture them taking hyssop and dipping it in the blood from that sacrificed lamb and just kind of painting it on the doorframe and the post, covering that doorway. Because God's going to do something extraordinary in light of their obedience. We pick up in chapter 12, verse 8. Notice, they shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread, which is very significant that both blood and bread, uh, uh, the leaven and the blood quicken, produce, make a difference, influence. And here we're seeing that blood is placed on the doorframe in the post and the bread is to be unquickened, unleavened. And bitter herbs they shall eat. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted. Its head with its legs and its inner parts. Are you looking forward to lunch today? (laughs) And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning, you shall burn. Now, as God is articulating these specific instructions about what is going to be known as the Passover, I want you to notice the haste in which they are to embrace This experience, we pick up in verse 11. 
in this manner, you shall eat it with your belt fastened. In other words, don't get comfortable. Your sandals on your feet, be ready to be mobile and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Whenever I was in elementary school, I remember my family had Miller's Rental Service. It was a rental business my grandfather started. And my mother was really into ceramics. She's extremely creative. She can paint, do ceramics and all. And, and she talked her dad, my papaw, into buying her a ceramic shop. And I remember as we sat up there and had the kilns and the molds and my papa had this big container with looked like a gas pump. And he would fill those big molds up with a slip using like a gas pump. And I got to watch as my papa would do that. And, and one of our co-workers was there, Robert, who would help in both businesses. He came to help my grandfather uh, do some of these big ceramic molds. And I remember it was lunchtime, my favorite time. And we sat around these eight-foot tables in a little break room. And I remember my papaw eating rather fast. And then we kept waiting on Robert because my papaw and I were finished eating. And Robert was still eating so slowly. And finally, Robert said to my papaw, he said, well, boss, why are you eating so fast? Why are you in such a hurry? And my papa said, well, Robert, why are you eating so slowly? He said, because I want to enjoy every bite. What God instructed Moses and Aaron to articulate to the people of Israel, this is no time to enjoy every bite. You're going to be on mission. There's something greater going on here than partaking of food and enjoying Every bite, I want you to eat it in haste, for it is the Lord's Passover. Then we get to the heart. Notice this passage, so rich. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. God is showing up in all of his fullness and all of his glory. And what we learn as we study the Passover is that God always keeps his word. Sometimes whenever you're doing life, you'll notice how it just seems like you're in the fourth quarter with a few seconds left. And, and you're wondering, is there any way this is going to come together? Is God going to come through for us? And God always comes through. And sometimes God does his best work. In the fourth quarter, with a few seconds left, because God always has the final say. And God is still on His throne. And God still has a perspective that we are so limited in our understanding. But God is still God. And now God is going to pass through the land of Egypt. And He's going to show forth His glory. Notice verse 13. The blood. Would you say that with me? The blood. One more time. The blood shall be a sign for you. On the houses where you are. And notice this. All this ought to give you chills. And when I see the blood. Ladies, would you say that? And when I see the blood. Just the men. And when I see the blood. Notice God's response. I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you. When I strike the land of Egypt. If you're taking notes, you may want to write these words down. 
Here's the first word, deliverance. What we see is the deliverance that God provided. In such a unique, extraordinary way, God could have delivered the children of Israel in so many different ways, but God chose the blood of the Lamb. God had a very specific way to bring forth deliverance to His people. The second concept is divine intervention. Have you ever had an experience in your life where you needed divine intervention from God? Would you raise your hand and testify? We've all been there. Where we just need God to come through. God, are you still there? Are you still on your throne? God, are you still at work? Lord, we're in need of divine intervention. And God supernaturally intervened in the darkest of moments. After this Egyptian bondage and slavery, God intervened. But then thirdly, there was a demonstration of God's power. It's always about God. And God revealing His glory. And God revealing His goodness. And God revealing His greatness. I love Exodus 12, 14. This brings it home to us where we are. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations, as a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. Well, you know, I had to take a picture. Austin had on his cowboy shirt that we bought just for the rodeo his belt, his jeans, and we had to borrow some nine and a half size boots and got him a, an awesome cowboy hat. My daughter, Tori, who's a freshman at LSU, was in town and wanted to go to the rodeo. And so she put on Austin's hat and he was like, go girl. And so dad was there to take a picture. And I couldn't wait. We love to go to the Houston rodeo. It's unbelievable. Now, how many of you have been this year? Would you raise your hand? Okay, put your hands down. How many of you have been to the Houston Rodeo at some point in your life? Would you raise your hand? Wow, it's an incredible experience. The largest rodeo you'll ever encounter. Well, there's so many features about it that I love. Of course, where we sat was really good. You could get in on all the action. And I I think I really like the bull riding. I mean, you have to be crazy to ride a bull. And I'm all about living on edge, and I have a need for speed, grew up racing motocross and jet skis and BMX. But whenever you're on a motorcycle or a jet ski or BMX, you're in control. When you're on a bull, guess who's in charge? Not you, (laughs) the bull. But I love watching these guys get hung up and beat up and stomped on, and it's just amazing, And, and you pay for that, you know? And it's just awesome as you're drinking your Diet Coke and like, bring on some more. But maybe you remember this feature. It's probably the most fun, engaging part. It's when the five and six-year-olds ride the sheep. It is so cute. And the way they pick them up and dust them off, they're all crying and uh, terrified. And they put the camera right on their face, you know, and try to perk them up. But it's really a lot of fun. It's kind of the highlight. And then some of you go for one reason and one reason only. The concert. It's all about the concert. But here's what's really fun. When the rodeo's over, the concert is finished, you go outside, and this is what you see. It's like this mega festival. And as we were walking through there, Tori pointed out this one little spot I'd never been to and said, Dad, let's get fried Oreos. 
And then Austin said, I want a fried Snickers bar. Did you know they fry Oreos and Snickers bars? You need to go. You've got to go. It's unbelievable. It's, it's calorie free. <laughs> but as we were standing there, Tanya just leaned over and just whispered, this is kind of like the Passover feast in Jerusalem. Where thousands and thousands and thousands of people come into Jerusalem. Some scholars say close to a million in Jesus' day would travel from all over, Steve, to come to Jerusalem. Now, they didn't serve fried Oreos, but they do now, praise God. (laughs) So let's look at the Passover feast in the New Testament, and we're going to laser focus on what Mark has talked about in the Gospel of John. I love this slide that he let me use where he talked about the difference between the synoptics and how they handled the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, how they were synonymous in so many areas. They're snapshots of Jesus. They're photo albums of Jesus. And then we see how in their accounts of Jesus and his life, their snapshots of his life, they talk about how he was in Galilee, then he was en route. He was moving toward Jerusalem, and then ultimately dying on the cross at Calvary. Whereas John has a different lens. He's writing much later. He's much older now, looking back over his life and his encounters with Jesus. And he's given us a different concept of the life of Christ that I really like and thought Mark's presentation was rather creative, where he talked about how they that in the Gospel of John, Jesus is featured in Galilee, then Jerusalem, then again in Galilee, then again in Jerusalem, then in Galilee, then in Jerusalem, and ultimately on the cross of Calvary. Now, what I want us to laser focus on for a few moments is the fact that John wrote of three Passovers, whereas Matthew, Mark, and Luke just identify one, that Jesus went into uh, the Passover one time. John gives us three Passovers, and I want us to look at those together. And you may want to write these verses in your notes, and of course, we'll be posting this online for you as well. The first one is found in John 2, specifically verse 13. John 2, verse 13, it follows the wedding of Cana, where Jesus turned the water into grape juice. Oh, into wine. Somebody asked me a few weeks ago, why do Baptists have grape juice at the Lord's Supper? And they said, at our church, we use wine. And I said, well, because as Baptists, we get a buzz on grape juice. And they thought, really? (laughs) So I was just picking. And then number two, the second Passover mention is in John chapter 6. Fantastic concept here that we'll look at in just a moment. And the third one, if you'll write it down, is found in John chapter 11. This is after the raising of Lazarus from the dead there in Bethany. Tremendous passage where John mentions again the Passover. Well, let's look at the first one, John 2, 13, where the Bible says the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, this is one of the famous encounters we see in Scripture. Each gospel writer does a lasso and pulls it in and wants us to experience it when Jesus cleanses a temple. When he goes into the temple... Millions of people moving in toward that area. And there are the doves and the goats and the lambs in the court of Gentiles and all these money changers. 
where you would come in and you'd have to, as a Jew, you would have to pay a half shekel for the temple tax. And then, of course, you would want to buy the lamb that you were going to sacrifice. You didn't want to bring the animal with you from distant country. And so you would come to the temple court to do business. And you would have to exchange your money just like you would in an airport when you come in from another country. And it was big business. The percentage rates were really high for you to come into Jerusalem for this feast of Passover and unleavened bread to exchange your money and to buy the animals needed for the sacrifice so that you could be in alignment with what God commanded in Exodus. And so when Jesus shows up, what did he do? People often say, well, he lost his cool. He got angry. Well, in the language of the New Testament, he got angry, but it was a very unique kind of anger that was under control. In fact, it was the kind of anger that we would call righteous indignation. A moral imperative to cleanse the temple of God. And Jesus was very methodical as he would create and develop the cat of nine tails. And then he would go into the temple area and he cleared it out. And some have asked, well, why didn't they jump Jesus? Why didn't they tackle him? Have you ever seen Jesus? I know the pictures we have painted of him. He's so soft and silky and smooth and so tender. But he was a carpenter's son. And they didn't have chainsaws back then. He had to swing an axe. So Jesus would have been ripped. He would have been bowed up. His hands would not have been soft and smooth. They would have been callous because he worked hard and diligently to serve his earthly daddy as he was serving his heavenly father. That's why they didn't jump on Jesus. They didn't want to get whooped. Plus he had a cat of nine tails, which would have lacerated them. Jesus announced, this shall be called a house of prayer for many nations. You have turned this into a den of thieves. and become a place of commerce rather than a place of covenant and connection and communion with Almighty God. So Jesus shows up and cleanses the temple. I love what Mark wrote in his lesson 11 on page 10. He said, Jesus drove out the animals for sacrifice in the temple because they were not necessary when Jesus himself was there. Jesus was showing that the older order was going and his new order was coming. Isn't that a great concept? That Jesus is there. Who will become the sacrifice once for all. We see the second Passover mentioned in John chapter 6. Verses 3 through 5. Now Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat down with his disciples. See if you can be familiarized with where he is. Now the Passover, there's our word. The feast of the Jews was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? And that's when Philip says, well, Lord, it would take eight months wages to feed all of these people. And Jesus said, feed them. Remember Andrew found a little lad who had his lunch. And the lad was willing to give up his lunch. Five loaves and two fish. And I love how S.M. Lockridge says that I can't quote this scripture without thinking of the great S.M. Lockridge who's now in heaven. I remember hearing him preach at Gwent Auditorium at Louisiana College in January of 1987. When he said, and Jesus is the only one. Who can multiply two times five and get 5,000. 
Where did that miracle occur? At the Passover. The Passover was at hand. And Jesus met needs that no one else could meet. Number three, John 11. Verses 55 through 57. You can read the entire chapter to get the context where Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. After he'd been dead four days and then he comes forth and Jesus announces to remove the grave clothes. Jesus had the power and the authority to cause the dead to come to life again. We pick up in verse 55. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand. There's our concept. And many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, What do you think? That he will not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where Jesus was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. Now what happens in John 13? It's in John 13 when Jesus washes the disciples' feet. And who was there? The one who would betray him, Judas. And yet Jesus was willing to wash his feet. And then Jesus simply said, I want you to do as I have done for you. I want you to do as I have done for you. And then you'll remember the Last Supper when Jesus identified Judas as the one who would betray when inquired, who is it, Lord? And it's the one who takes this bread and he hands it off to Judas. And the Bible says, and an evil spirit entered him in that moment, Judas. And he sold himself for 30 pieces of silver. All of this is happening at the time of the Passover feast when close to a million Jews would have been in town. This morning... When I was having my quiet time, I've been living in the book of Ephesians this week. And just every morning, feeding on God's Word in Ephesians. And just letting God speak to my heart. You know what it's like when you have your daily quiet time. You read the Bible, and the Bible reads you. You let God speak to your heart. And He takes out that sword of the Spirit, which is a double-edged sword, so that you can cut the enemy. But also the Word of God cuts you in all the right places. And this morning... I thought it was so fitting to be living in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, specifically that I pulled out for our lesson. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Hebrews seven twenty seven picks up on this even further. Speaking of Jesus, he has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people. Since Jesus did this once for all. Would you say that with me? Jesus did this once for all when he offered up himself. Now our points for home. Hebrews 9.14 How much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. What does that tell us? There is power in the blood. Remember that old hymn? There's power in the blood. 
power in the blood, wonder-working power in the blood. There's power in the blood. As we learn in the Lord's Supper this morning, without the shedding of blood, there's no removal or no remission of sin. Our second life point is Hebrews 10, 12. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. When you study the Old Testament sacrificial system, the high priest could not sit down because the task was always unfinished. The sins had to continuously be atoned for. So the high priest could not sit down. The work was not complete. The high priest had to continually go back in to make an atonement for the sins of the people. Not when Jesus died as a sacrificial lamb of God. When Jesus died, he was on the cross and said to tell us it is finished. Whenever you pay off a car or you pay off your home and it comes in the mail and it's stamped, paid in full to Telestai, it is finished. And that's why Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. Here's how I like to say it. The operation of the Holy Spirit has set us free from the operation of sin and death through Christ. And look to your neighbor and say, it is finished. And by the way, you may have occasion where you need to tell the devil, it is finished. And then our third life point, the next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, remember that John the Baptist said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Here's the life point. Point people to Jesus. We have nine worship venues here on campus. Every worship venue is designed for one reason, one reason only. As our worship leaders are leading in song, it's to point people to Jesus. Pastor David's preaching, if Pastor Ramon's preaching, if I'm preaching, Pastor Jeff's preaching, Stephen Miori, if uh, he ever is preaching and communicating God's word, Stephen Morris, Julian Pizarro, Stephanie Chase when she's proclaiming God's word, Scott Farrar in our kids' area whomever God is raising up to preach the Word of God and teach the Word of God, when Mark Lanier is teaching the Word of God, whomever is on this platform teaching or leading in worship or preaching the Word of God, our sole divine role from God is to simply point people to Jesus. Point people to Jesus. Now, when you're dismissed and you drive off of our property, here's the sign you're going to see at every exit. And I want you to read it with me. You are now entering your mission field. And I want to know what's the mission. Point people to Jesus. So they can behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for our time together. Thank you for being an on-time God. Thank you for loving us so much that you gave your one and only son. 
But whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. That God, You made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of Yours. And Lord, I want to thank You this morning that in Jesus, instead of inflicting the consequences of our sin, You passed over us by allowing Jesus to shed His blood on the cross. And now we are the recipients of your grace, your amazing grace. We're the recipients of the reality that there is power in the blood. And we are forgiven because you have been forsaken. Thank you for the forgiveness of sin. Thank you for removing our unrighteousness and imputing your righteousness into our account. So that, Lord, when you see us, you see us through the shed blood of Jesus. And we are forever and eternally grateful. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. God bless you.